0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Alright, well if you have a Bible today, let's open up to 1 Chronicles chapter 6. You know, sometimes when you're going through these types of sections of the Bible, you want to cover a lot of ground, and, and a lot of guys do, and they do a really good job at it. I've learned, um, you know, to 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 just try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes He might want you to go farther and faster. Sometimes He wants you to go slower and and deeper. And today I really sense the Lord just wanting us to do one chapter. And we're going to do First uh, Chronicles chapter six, because you know one thing I know. Is this that we need we need Jesus? You, know, you guys are going through things. You guys are going through trials. You guys want to grow. You know, and it's cool going to church, but don't look to the church. And it's cool that you have good guys and girls in your life, but don't look to that guy and don't look to that girl. They won't be the answer. They won't be the one to give you the power you need to grow. We need. Jesus. You need to look to Jesus. You need to know Jesus. You need to walk with Jesus. You know, there is one I know who will heal every heart. There is one I know, and he's the only one I know that will give us strength and courage and give us the grace to be able to grow. And that one is Jesus. And as we go through our study today, I've told you guys before, you can open up the Bible anywhere and you can preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified because it's all about Him, right? It's all about Jesus. And that's why, you know, I I do want to mention to you the other day I had the opportunity to offer an invocation at the city council meeting. And a lot of you guys were praying for me on that because... You know, they told me that the city attorney literally came into our, our meeting and he said, "Don't pray in Jesus' name." Okay, now here's the thing. Most of you guys know me that I'm not rebellious by nature, right? You guys know that. That's not the type of person I am. You know, when they first started asking me to pray at the invocations, I didn't know I couldn't pray in Jesus' name. Eventually, they told me you can't pray in Jesus' name, but I continued to pray in Jesus' name. And then, you know, they started getting a little bit more intense. And we had a meeting here and this final meeting when the city attorney came in. And this is what the Lord told me. Believe it, one day, believe it or not, one day I was out there just watering the grass because I don't have sprinklers. I wish I did. I, I was out there watering, like Mexicans, right? We have watering the grass. And, um, and the Lord, he just told me, he said, you pray in Jesus' name and don't take yourself out. And if your you know, chaplain coordinator takes you out, it's on him. And if your city attorney takes you out, he is responsible. So I don't go in there in a rebellious spirit. I just go and I pray in Jesus' name. And and it was kind of cool, because after I prayed, because I really felt your guys' prayers. A lot of you were praying for me, you were asking, and I really felt that night something special. And afterwards, when I was done with, my, with the prayer and the invocation, I went back and I was talking to one of the captains of the police department. And uh, she said to me, she said, that was a good sermon. And I was like, well, it wasn't a sermon. <laughs> it was a prayer. But, man, I knew it might be my last one. so um, I prayed with all my heart. Why don't they want us to pray in Jesus' name? I mean, they don't say, well, you can't pray in Buddha's name. They don't say you you can't pray in Krishna's name. They don't say you can't pray in Allah's name. All they say is you can't pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because Acts 4.12 says, nor is there salvation under any other. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They don't want us to speak the name of Jesus. That I know. And it's for that reason that we have to. And it's for that reason that I share with you guys tonight that I wish I could solve your problems, but I can't. I I, I can point you, however, to the one that can. And it's Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you're, you're, you know, your woe is me and you're, you're trying to blame it on, on whatever or whoever or the lack of this or how come they don't do that. It's none of that. It's your fault because you're not drawing near to Jesus. See? And that's what we have to do. And tonight we're going to see uh, some beautiful things in our study uh, tonight. We begin by looking at the descendants of the priestly tribe of Levi And you know, in going through Chronicles, I've already alluded to the fact that these are written by a priest. uh, His name is Ezra. And you will find that this section of Scripture, therefore, and by the Holy Spirit's direction, it has a priestly emphasis. It has a priestly perspective. And we need that. And this whole chapter is all about the descendants of Levi. And Levi was the tribe of Israel through which we get all of our priests. We get the high priest through Aaron, and we get the other priests uh, through the descendants of Kohath. And so we see this is all about the descendants of Levi. Look at verse one. It says the sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing them all right. But let's. Can you join me in mispronouncing them real quick? Uh, Let's read this together. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Now, there you're going to see these three guys over and over again. I want you to know one day, if someone asks you, who are the sons of Levi? You're going to so you're you're know these guys, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, because they're repeated throughout the Scriptures. Now, when you go through verses 2 through 15 of chapter 6, it covers the descendants of Kohath, And then it spends some time on this line, and we see it. The reason being is because it was through uh, Amram, Moses, and Aaron that the lineage of the high priest would come. And so the Chronicle covers the line of the high priest. And you guys know what the high priest won, right? He was the the one uh, of Israel who would go in. He was the leader of leaders. He was the one that would go in on the day of Yom Kippur with the blood and he would offer it there at the mercy seat. The only one allowed behind the most holy place, the veil, into that place where he would put the blood there between the cherubim where God said, I will meet you there where the blood is on the Ark of the Covenant. God said, I'll meet you there. The high priest was the only one that could go in on the day of Yom Kippur and he would sprinkle the blood there. And that's a picture of Jesus. These were they these were the leaders of leaders. That's the high priest, right? That's who they were. And so you go through the list right here and you got the you got the big guys, man, you got the high priest, right? But notice verse fifteen, if you would, it says Jehosadak went into captivity when the Lord carried Judah and Jerusalem into captivity by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. He's going up high priest, high priest, after high priest, after high priest. And then when he gets to this guy, Jehoshadak, what does he say? He says, this guy never really had that privilege he was supposed to. But what happened? He was carried away into captivity. He was carried away as the Jews were conquered by the Babylonians. You know, and when you read that right there and, and to me when i when I read how you know this chronicler kind of emphasized this, I really felt like the Lord wants us to know how this works, you know Jehosadak carried away into captivity, and what we find is that the concluding note is that we need to have a sober reminder that sin and its consequences touch even the most sacred persons or leaders among the people. Now you guys know that, right? That no leader is exempt. You guys know that saying the higher they grow, the taller the harder they fall. You know, there is that there's that sometimes a misconception that leaders are exempt, that leaders are above the law, but they're not. As a matter of fact, you and I probably know what the Bible says in Luke twelve forty eight that to whom much is given much more is required. You know, if you look over, if you would mark right here and go to Second Chronicles 36. Look at verse 14. And this actually gives the account of what happened. It says in verse 14, Moreover, all the leader, leaders of the priests and, and the people transgress more and more you know don't sin more and more stop it repent nip it in the bud get rid of it ask God to give you the grace to forgive you of your sins and ask God to give you the grace to overcome your sins because these guys they just kept going and like I always tell you insistent persistent consistent resistant sin that's what they did the leaders, all the leaders and the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, which He had consecrated in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by His messengers rising up early and sending them because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. You know, sometimes someone says, Hey, straighten up. Someone you know tries to wake you up with some type of rebuke and what do we do? We get all mad. You're all upset. Who who are you talking? You're, You're correcting me. Yes, because I love you. It's God's compassion that he would convict us. It's God's compassion that he would send people to us to tell us that we're off the wall. But these guys right here, they wanted none of it, right? But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people unnoticed till there was no remedy. I mean, there's no other way to get these people right than to chasten them. And it broke God's heart more than it did theirs. And so, you know, what was the problem? Well, the problem was was the leaders. You know, like priests, like people. Pray for your leaders. And if you're a leader, be a godly leader. Be a holy leader. You might think well when I'm in the front, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm acting right and I and I put on the show, what are you behind the scenes because they will be what you really are. And the Bible talks about the blind leading the blind and they both fall into a ditch. So important for us to know as we look back in 1st Chronicles 6, you know, the high priest himself, he was carried away into captivity. He was carried away. And for us, we have to be so careful. You know, the, just really take that, that title of overseer or leader. Take it really seriously. The Bible says in James chapter 3, verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. And not just on what you say, although that's part of it. That's probably the, the heart of James 3, but just it's also on who you are. And so leaders have a heavy responsibility. That's why in Leviticus chapter 4, when a, live, when a leader went astray, it was a different type of sacrifice to restore him. You know, when you look at First Samuel, if you want to go back there to chapter 12, I think of the leaders, and I, and I think of uh, not only a priest, but in this case a king. In First Samuel chapter 12, Notice what Samuel says in verse 24. And here's the thing. He says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. I mean, look at what the Lord has done for you. I mean, every single day that sun is shining, and every single day this world is spinning. And every single day your heart is beating and He's washing you of your sins and He died for you on the cross. The great things the Lord has done for you. When you consider that, he says right there, the application is fear the Lord. Serve Him not in hypocrisy. Serve Him in truth with all of your heart. That's what he's saying. Right, That's how we're to serve the Lord. He says, But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Both you and the leaders. Man, if we can get good leaders, if we can get leaders that are good followers of Jesus Christ who take this role in a responsible way, in a holy way, don't you know how much it will bless the heart of God, and don't you know how much it will bless the people that are entrusted into your care? I mean, we as leaders, we're here in the church, and we have, you know, elders and pastors and overseers with people under them. We want to serve them. We want to minister them by doing what we're called to do in a faithful way. You know, Ezekiel forty-four. We we probably don't have time to turn there, but If you get a chance, you read Ezekiel 44, verse 10 and 15, and then Ezekiel 48, verse 11. And what that talks about was that the Lord rewarded certain leaders, certain priests, because they didn't go the way of the people. They held their ground. Because so much of what being a leader is, is, is not being a follower. What I do is I get on my knees and I pray. And they say, Lord, you lead me. You guide me. I'm not going to follow him or her or them. I'm going to follow you. And as a leader, you have to get your marching orders from the Lord, not other people. And so what ends up happening was these guys, they didn't follow the people. They followed the Lord. And the Lord rewarded them. But the ones that followed the people, God said, you guys lost your privileges. And so... For me, when I look at this, a call to leadership is a call to holiness. Oftentimes we are called to restrain the people, like Aaron failed to do in Exodus thirty two twenty five. And so we see right here, you know, that the chronicler is giving the descendants of uh, Levi, and he gives the descendants of Aaron and the high priest And then he mentions again in verse 16, uh, who are the sons of Levi? The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. You guys know that already, huh? You guys know his three sons, uh, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And, you know, we're going to see now, he's going to get into these guys, and he's going to mention again, look at verse 17, these are the names of the sons of Gershon. Verse 18, the sons of Kohath. Verse 19, the sons of Merari. Verse 20, if you go down, it says of Gershon. Verse 22 of Kohath, and then you go all the way down to verse um, 28 or 29, Merari. And so you have these guys mentioned over and over again. You've got other beautiful names in there. For example, notice in verse 28, Samuel. Remember him? Real, real cool guy. You know, here we see he was actually of the priestly lineage in First Samuel. It looks like he's of a different tribe, but that's only the tribe where he lived in. This is the tribe that he was born into. And so the chronicler here spends a lot of time on the Levitical or priestly, you know, lineage. And he's going to spend a lot of time on musicians. How many of you here like music? So curious. Don't you love music? It's so cool when you know how much God wants us to use mu- music to worship him. It really is. And the chronicler spends a lot of time on this. As a matter of fact, 31 through 47. It says, Now these, in verse 31, are the men whom David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest. They were ministering with music before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of meeting until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and they served in their office according to their order. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Did you know that Jesus is the best leader? And did you know that Jesus is the best servant? He's the best leader, and He's the best servant. Now, as we get into the musicians, we notice that you know it's not just having fun, performing. Music is service. Notice again right there in verse 31 that these are the men whom David appointed over the service of song. I like that. And we're going to look at other aspects of service among the priests. We're going to see that tonight. This right now, we begin first of all with the service of song. And it says at the end of verse 32, and they served in their office according to Their order, you see, we don't have this in the Mosaic Law. You know, we don't have that. David came now to a point in his life, however, where he he instituted something out of, I believe, uh, being led by the Lord, but out of the worship that came from his heart. You guys know that David was a sweet psalmist of Israel, right? And you guys know that when you read the Psalms, those were songs. That was music. David, you know, played. And I could just imagine him, and to me this is so important, that when you become a worship leader, you first must worship God in private, in the quiet places. And then, you know, when you are raised up maybe to that place of leadership and then maybe your influence will spread, it has to begin with something that's first taking place in your heart. Here we see the music ministry. David, who wrote over 70 of the psalms that we have in our Bible, what he had in his heart was he wanted to make sure that there was an established music ministry. And again, I think it's good, I believe God laid it on his heart, to take a branch of the musicians from the tribe of Levi to be appointed to this type of service. And so he says, okay, you guys, uh, you know, of this lineage, you guys are going to be part of the music ministry in the middle, uh, Gershon. And then, you know, uh, Kohath, you're going to be over here on the right side. And then uh, you guys, of Merari, you're going to be on the left side. And it would be basically saying, like, let's say, say, for example, Reuben, okay, and all his children, they're going to be in the music ministry. Now, maybe, what, maybe Ruben's a good singer, but what about if his son's not a good singer, you know, or a good, you know, guitar player or whatever? Now, generally speaking, according to John Hopkins University, they say that the music gene is in the blood. They do say that, but it's not always the case, huh? Like, for example, Angel can sing, but have you heard Sergio? Is that a curiosity? No. <laughs> totally joking, man. I have never heard him. He's probably good. Here's the thing that I want to say, you guys, is as you're serving wherever God puts you, I really pray that whether you have a a good voice or a bad voice, one of the things I notice is that when we get together and we sing, it sounds beautiful. I don't hear the bad voice. I really don't. And I don't think God does either. The main thing is that you and I have a heart for worship. You and I, we get here on time, if possible. I know sometimes it's not possible, but you get here on time. Maybe get here a little early and say, Lord, I'm here to worship you. I know worship is more than just music and singing songs and things we do with our lip. I know that music is our, is our life. I understand that. But I do know this. When I read my Bible, there's no doubt about it that a large part of the temple ministry is music. And so what are you doing when we're worshiping the Lord? What are you doing when we're singing songs? Are you worshiping God? And I see some guys and their hands are raised, and I know it's not a game. I know they are worshiping God. Maybe the musicians don't sound the best, but their heart is right. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. You might be ushering. You might be serving the, You know, PowerPoint. I don't know. You can still worship. You must bring yourself to worship together. As a congregation, it's so important. It really is. You know, I like the way he says it's a service of song. You know, and, and looking at this, it's interesting to me how the responsibilities are neatly divided up. Um, verse 33, uh, it says, And these are the ones who ministered with their sons, of the sons of the Kohathites were Heman, the singer? Did you guys know He-Man it was in the Bible, right? He was a singer, right? And then you go down to verse 39. And his brother Asaph, who stood at his right hand, was Asaph, the son of Berechiah. If you go all the way down to verse 43, you see he's the son of Gershon. So you have the Koathites, You have the Gershonites. And then again, when you look at verse 44, their brethren, the sons of Merari, on the left hand. Remember the three sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari? There they are again. God just bringing these guys up, these servants of the Lord. You know, it's interesting Heman and uh, all these guys uh, were actually individuals that that wrote psalms. As far as we know, Heman was probably the author of Psalm 88 because when you read Psalm 88, it says a contemplation of Heman there in verse 1. Uh, He was a descendant of Samuel. And there are psalms, most of you probably know, that bear the name of Asaph. For example, Psalm 50 and Psalm 73 and 83. And uh, we believe also that Ethan may be the author of Psalm 89, since it is a contemplation, it says in verse 1 of that chapter, of Ethan. And so in looking at worship, okay, here's the thing. In looking at music ministry, we find out that there are some appointed to that. Okay? Let me just say this maybe there are more of you that need to step up and get involved in in worship ministry. They I was blessed tonight. You know, I was blessed by the worship. I was blessed, you know, I didn't even know Anthony was going to be on that cojone. It sounded so good. You know, but that's really not even the main thing. The main thing is that. We were ushered into the presence of God, weren't we? You know, We believe, I remember Dr. Belouian said a long time ago, that when we're worshiping, we're preparing our heart. And in and of itself, it's sufficient. But what does it do? It prepares the heart for the receiving of God's word. Because unless this word falls on good ground, it won't produce fruit. And so what that worship does is it cultivates that soul and it breaks up that fallow ground. And that's why I want to encourage you. Examine your heart. If you're not worshiping while we sing, then please repent. Start concentrating. Start lifting your heart, your eyes, your voice to God. Because that is a large part of what worship is. You know, here are these guys right here. You know They're, they're singing. We see the who... But then we see the when in in verse thirty-one. The when now these are the men whom David appointed over the service of the song in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest. After the ark came to rest. Now the ark, you guys know, is in reference to the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant is symbolic of the presence of God, the throne of God. And the covenant. That's why it's called the Ark of the Covenant. The covenant that God has with his people. Do you guys remember the Ark of the Covenant? It would be like a box. It was overlaid with gold. It was beautiful. and uh, But it had something inside the box. Do you guys remember what was inside the box of the Ark of the Covenant? According to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, it said, In which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant." And so, he worshiped. The men that were appointed to worship, they worship when the Ark of the Covenant rested. And the Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of the presence of God. And within that Ark, there were three things. There was the jar or pot of manna. There was the rod of Aaron that budded. And there was the tables or the commandments of Moses that were there. And, and, you know, you think about those three things and you know what they point to? Jesus. Everything comes back to Jesus. Jesus said in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Search the scriptures, he told the religious leaders, because they testify of me. It's all about Jesus. We worship Jesus. The Father points to Jesus the spirit points to jesus we worship him because there's one mediator between god and man and that is the man christ jesus and so in that in that ark there was the the law now the law of god it tells you how to live and so don't disregard it but it doesn't give you life it tells you how to live and so I, you you should we should obey the ten commandments and You know, the Sabbath day, maybe that was modified in the New Testament to mean whatever day you esteem, kind of all days are the same, right? That's explicitly stated in the New Testament. But the laws tell you how to live, but they don't give you life. Remember that. You know what the law really does? It tells me I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. What's it doing? God has taken His law now and He's pointing me to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're all messed up. You've been blowing it. You know what? We do. We fail. We fall. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, then you need Jesus. And I pray that you would know and be convicted of your sin that you cannot go to heaven without giving your life to Christ. You cannot stand before God on your own righteousness. You might be good and you might be better than most or maybe even all, but you're not good enough to go to heaven on your own. Why? Because the Bible says we've all sinned. And we fall short of the glory of God. But you come to Jesus and He'll cover you with His righteousness. But maybe you're here today even as a Christian. You know, and you find yourself, you keep slamming your head against that same wall. You keep blowing it in the same areas or whatever it might be. You're falling short and you know it. You know life should be more than what you've been experiencing up to this point. You have the same need. We both just need just Jesus. And the law tells us, well, this is how to live, but I, I can't do it on my own. And so, what do you do? You you go to Jesus. You know, in that ark there was Aaron's rod that budded. And if you remember what that was all about in Numbers chapter 16 and Numbers chapter 17, what had happened was Korah had rebelled, and Korah said, you know what, Moses, you and Aaron, you take too much on yourself. Everybody's the same. And you know, Moses was like, you know what? It's you guys, you guys are you got your eyes on the wrong place. You guys are priests. That's where God's called you to be. Now what do you want to do? You want to be high priests? And so what ended up happening was God God killed them. God killed all those who followed them. And then in chapter 17, he said, All you tribes, take a rod, you put it in, this, in the presence of God, and the one that buds, that's the one that I chose. And God said, I've chosen Aaron to be the priest. See? And and that's a symbol. That's a a representative of... We know all priests, especially the high priests, are representative of who? Jesus. So here we have the law of God. I I, want to keep it, but I can't. I'll try to keep it, but thank God that since I, I can't keep it perfectly, I have Jesus. And then the priest was provided for me. Remember what a priest is. He represents God to the people. And he represents the people to God. He stands in the gap. That's what Jesus has done for us. And so thank God for Jesus. And then in that Ark of the Covenant, there was the manna. You know, uh, when God brought down uh, food each and every day, imagine that. Every day he would provide for them exactly what they needed. And they had to go out and gather except for on the sixth day they would have to gather for two days. And if they gathered too much, it would go it would go rotten. What's the the picture there every single day? You can't take a day off. Why are you getting a fight with your wife? Why are you getting a fight with your husband? Cuz maybe you took the day off and you didn't read and pray, or maybe you took a moment off. You can't take a moment off. You ever you ever seen a boxer? He's boxing and he's fighting. Does he ever let his guard down? If he ever lets his guard down, it, he might be, you know, a better boxer. It doesn't matter. You know, he's going to get socked in the face, man, and he's going to get knocked out. Why? Because you can't take a day off. You can't take a moment off. We have to walk circumspectly. And and if you want to win, and there you are, maybe you're fighting with your husband, you're fighting with your kids, or you know, you're fighting on the freeway, or you're fighting with yourself. It's because God is saying, I own every minute of your life. I own every thought. I own every word. I own every hour. I own you. I bought you. I redeemed you. And the manna is the Lord just saying, every day you go out and you gather And there you are in the wilderness, man. And and you're like, well, how am I going to survive out here? There's no jack-in-the-box, right, down the street, man. And the Lord says, I'll provide for you. Yeah, but Lord, I want filet mignon. No, you don't. It's going to give you a heart attack, right? Can you imagine how nutritious that manna must have been? Yeah, but Lord, I want Doritos. Lord says, no, my will is best. I'll provide for you. And in the wilderness where God provided for them the manna, you know, it's so beautiful, because then you go over to John chapter 6. What did Jesus say? Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. He said, I'm the bread of life. Who are we coming back to? We're coming back to Jesus. You See? And it's so important that we always come back to Jesus. And we're worshiping here. We're worshiping because He was nailed to a cross for our sins. We're worshiping the Lord for what He's done for us. We're worshiping the Lord for who He is. And that's why when the ark rested in its place, and the Bible says right here that these guys, they, they worshiped there at the tabernacle. And then eventually they worshiped at the temple you know we're going to read as we go through this whole thing right here a lot of the principles repeated in first chronicles 1637 it says so he left asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the lord to minister before the ark regularly as every day's work required and so you know it's cool you know, one day, Lord willing, we'll be able to have a staff of you know people on staff doing just music, stuff like that. That that would be so awesome. You know, and when you look at this, one of the things I have to admit that I loved, and I have to mention to you guys, is there in verse 33, and these are the ones who ministered with their sons. Isn't that beautiful? For those of you who have little kids right now. Can you can you imagine the day when they grow up and you minister with them? I'm not talking about them just tagging along and they were there and they kind of showed up. And I'm talking about where they ministered with you. To me, that's beautiful, and I pray that every father and every mother here would raise their children in such a way. That that their, that their children would one day be able to minister with them. I, I love that. I love not just the music ministry here, but the family ministry. And it's just so cool how he touches on how the Levites were appointed. Look at the next uh, verse right here in chapter 6. And look at verse 48. And their brethren, the Levites... Were appointed to every kind of service of the tabernacle of the house of God, and so, you know, generally speaking, you guys, uh, you have Levi, you have his three sons were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Through Kohath, the priests came; the high priest came through Aaron, but you have Merari and Gershon. So the Levites. They were all there, and they had different kinds of service. Maybe they weren't all priests, but they were all servants in the house of God. And I love verse 48 because to me, I, I just say, I think of every kind of service, of the tabernacle of the house of God. You know, I, I don't know how you guys are as far as, as you know, the servanthood, and, and if you've really cultivated that heart, you know, you um, know, I've told you many times that Christianity is like tennis and that the one who wins is the one who serves the best, right? i told you guys that. How is your service? Are you really serving the Lord? One guy said, Make your life a mission, not an intermission. Well, I'm on a break right now. You know, I can't serve God. I, I, you know, you asked me, but uh, sorry, I can't do it. I got to wash the cat. A lot of times people have excuses, but we need to have a servant's heart. I love this poem. It says, Go, labor on. Spend and be spent. Thy joy to do the Father's will. Is it not the master's went? Should not the servant tread it still? You know Hudson Taylor, that great missionary to China, such an awesome man of God, humble servant of God. He said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him He said, I ended up by asking him to do his work through me. You know, we need that, that heart of servanthood. I know it's hard. I realize it takes sacrifice. I realize that there are other things you could be doing that you'd rather be doing. One guy said, ministry that costs nothing, however, accomplishes nothing. It has to be. And I love the way that it says right here, and they were appointed to every kind of service. Can you imagine all the different service in the house of God the ones that were taking care of the spider webs the ones that were vacuuming the ones that were cleaning the toilets the ones that were washing the dishes you know the ones that were picking up the the poop or whatever i mean you name it there was different service in the house of God but none's better than the other we can't do this without a team effort right and so you're here today and you're like well but you know i i i i want to go up the ladder Well, if God's going to bring you up, He'll bring you up, but don't worry about it. Where you are is so important. One person said this, Is your place small? Tend it with care, for He set you there. Is your place great? Tend it with care, for He set you there. Wherever your place, finish your race. For the great and the small are thoughts from the fall. Just answer the call, and wherever, whatever title you bear, tend it with care. For he put you there. You see, Jesus was a great leader. Jesus was the great priest. Jesus was the great servant. You know, and when we look at this right here, we see the beauty of it. You know, in verses 49 through 53, we have, again, the descendants of Aaron. And remember that it was through Aaron we were given the high priests of Israel and through the sons of Kohath, the son of Levi, that we have the priesthood as a whole. And we read their service here in 49. Notice it says in verse 49, but Aaron and his sons offered sacrifices on the altar of burnt offering and on the altar of incense for all the work of the most holy place. And to make atonement for Israel, according to all that Moses are like this, the servant of God had commanded now we'll just kind of do another servant thing there. What about you? How about you? Let's be the servant of God, a servant of God. But notice here the priest, three things that are mentioned: number one, they burnt offerings, number two, the incense offerings. And then number three, the blood offerings. What's a burnt offering? The burnt offering is when they brought the sacrifice and everything was burnt. Everything was consumed. It's a picture of absolute consecration. And, you know, it's so cool to think that God would do this work and call us to that place. Want to know why you're having problems? Because you're not surrendered. Because you're still living on your own will. No, it's my husband. You don't know my husband. It's my wife, man. Let me tell you something about my wife. Or, you know, my boss, he's a pain. Or you can offer excuse after excuse after excuse. You don't know my story. You don't know my circumstances. It doesn't matter. I know your God. And the problem we have sometimes is, is we're not consecrated. There's that burnt offering that Jesus wants to mediate for us. There's the incense offering. You guys know what that is, right? When the the priests would go in there and they would offer this beautiful incense on the altar of incense, and then the, the aroma, oh, it smelled so good. And what's that symbolic of? Prayers. So you wanna you wanna grow consecration. You wanna grow. Invocation. How is your prayer life? Well, that's just for pastors. That's just for leaders. No, it's not. There's a lot of you here, and I would say this. You're not a pastor or leader, but I would even venture to say your prayer life is better than mine, although I'm trying. Some of you here are prayer, are prayer warriors. You don't have to be ordained to be this. The priest, he would offer up the, the burn offering, consecration, the incense, which is invocation, and the blood offering, which is, you know, redemption. And that is the forgiveness of our sins. All of this is, again, a picture of Jesus. This is what Jesus, our high priest, has done for us. And And, and as we, you know, start this life, I like what one person said, the done is what Jesus has begun. You're, you're, you're a Christian. You're a son. You're a daughter. It's done. But it's just begun. Do you realize that it's, there's so much more for us? You can be a godly man. You can be a godly woman. Without Jesus, you're going to go to hell. But you choose. If you choose Christ, then you're free, you're forgiven. Well, someone says, well, I'm a good person. I'm sure he won't, you know, he'll let me go into heaven. You're not perfect. You're not good enough. Humble yourself. You need Jesus. You know, you might have a fun life, whatever. You go to Disneyland and all these different places and you like your you know, iPhone and iPad and all that kind of stuff. You like pizza? So do I. You know, you like all that stuff. But one day you will die and you will stand before God. Don't you know you need Jesus? What, you don't need Jesus? You need Jesus. so important that you have this, you guys. In verses 54 through 81, we have the land that was given to the priests throughout the nation of Israel in accordance to Numbers 35, 1 through 8. And when you read Joshua 21, you realize that the command was carried out under the leadership of Joshua. And so, you know, the priests, uh, they they didn't own the land, but they had the land. And one thing that's interesting in verses, in this chapter right here, 41 times you'll read the, the phrase common lands. And so they had their city in the walled part, but then they had their city outside the walls. Okay, so the common land was a place where they would actually grow uh, fruit. Uh, They would grow corn and they would grow things, right? So, you know, here's the thing with the priests. They were provided for with the tithes of the people. And so you're wondering then what were the common lands for? If the people were already given to them grain, why did they have the common lands? And you know, want to know what the answer is? It was a bonus. Isn't that cool? It was a bonus. And I, the, kind of the way that I see it is like this, okay? You're a Christian? Cool. And you have life? Cool. But Jesus wants you to have abundant life. How many of you here You get bonuses at work? None of you? Okay, well, I feel sorry for you guys, man. I don't get bonuses necessarily either, but I sometimes I talk to people I'm like, well, that's nice, you got that at christmas or or whatever you know that's what this is the common lands uh, you know one of the things that we find about the the priests is they were not given uh ownership of land like the rest of the tribes and in reading our section here, we don't have time to get into it, but the one of the reasons was the Lord was their inheritance. see. The Lord was their inheritance. And secondly, God wanted them to spread out in order to teach and reach out to all the people. And so as you go through this section right here, look at verse 54. Now these are their dwelling places throughout their settlements and their territory, for they were given by lot to the sons of Aaron of their family. And then he goes on to mention the Kohathites and all the others, the Gershonites and the, and the descendants of Merari, And when you look at a map, you would see that they were just spread out throughout the whole nation of Israel. They even had a city of refuge, and they had places on the other side. Why? Because God wanted to reach all the people. God wanted to teach all the people, so he spread the priests out all over the place. He said, and you'll live in the land, but you can't own the land because I'm your inheritance, and I don't want you to be distracted. With anything. Some people, they say, Well, I want a house. You want to buy a house? That's cool. Maybe God will give you a house, but that's not really that important. It's not. Why? Because the Lord's your inheritance. You know, let's face it the ownership of property, houses, cars, gizmos, and gadgets can very easily get in the way of our relationship with the Lord, right? I mean, you know, it can take our treasure away from the Lord, it can take our time away from the Lord. And so for the priests, God didn't want any distractions or temptations. And I pray for us, you know, as Christians, that we would be given the grace to be able to handle these things because the Lord is our inheritance and God wants us spread out. You know, a lot of times Christians have the misconception that they shouldn't be like in the world. I'm going to go live in my cave. I'm going to start a monastery. And God says, no, I want you in the world. Sometimes we get the misconception that God wants us to isolate ourselves from the people of the world, but God would rather have us infiltrate the people of the world. You have Jesus in you, and they need Jesus. Go out into the valleys and alleys. Go out into the highways and byways. You know, Jesus spoke a lot about this in the Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 10 and chapter 9 verse 5 and chapter 13 verse 1 and chapter 16 verse 33 17 verses 11 through 18 he said i was sent into the world and then he goes on and says in john 17 verse 18 and as you sent me into the world i also have sent them into the world so don't think it's isolation no Think of infiltration, but when you're there, Jesus said in John 17, you're, you're in the world, but the difference is this, you're not out of the world. And that's where we have, again, the holiness that God wants us to have. There's a lot in this chapter, you guys, and I, I, just, I know we're running out of time. Let me just close with this. Jesus is the best leader. We talked about leaders today. Jesus is the best servant. We talked about servants today. Jesus is the best priest. We talk about priests today. Jesus is the best fruit bearer. We talked about those priests having fruit in the common lands. Jesus was the best evangelist because he went into the world. And Jesus lives in you. The same Jesus. So what I would say to you is what my pastor used to always tell me. Let Jesus express himself through you. May he help us in all these areas of our lives. Jesus lives in us according to Ephesians 3 verse 17 and Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. Jesus lives in us that he may dwell in our hearts, that he may settle down in our hearts. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a familiar story, and I'm sure you guys have heard it before. But just in case, there's one person who hasn't. I'm going to say it again. (laughs) You guys remember uh, William Randolph Hearst? How many of you here have been to Hearst Castle? You know, my wife and I went there on our honeymoon. It was it was pretty cool, man, amazing, right? And anyways, this gentleman was a billionaire who made his fortune as a newspaper publisher, and um, you know, he was a great collector of art. One day he read about a very valuable piece of art in an art magazine, and he decided he wanted to buy it. And so he called his agent and sent him all over the world to try to find this valuable piece of art. And the agent searched and searched and searched for it all over the world, but he couldn't find it. William Randolph Hearst insisted that he find this piece of art, so he sent him out again. Finally, the agent returned and said, Mr. Hurst, I have found the valuable piece of art, the one that you've been searching for all this time. And Mr. Hurst said, that's wonderful. Where was it? And the agent said, it was in your own warehouse, sir. You already own it. And I think that a lot of times when I see people and they're looking there and they're looking there and they're looking to him and they're looking to her and... And they know something's missing and they think that they need to go out and find it when in all reality, if you're a Christian, He's in you. We already own it. So my encouragement to you is to be encouraged in that and walk in that tonight. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the maker and maintainer of the universe, He lives in you. So why are you afraid? Why are you worried? Why are you defeated? I encourage you, look up and know that you are complete in Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you're not a Christian. You know, He loves you. He died for you. But He's a perfect gentleman. He will never force Himself upon you. The Gospel is that Jesus died for all of your sins. Then He was laid in a grave and He rose the third day to prove who He was. Here's the Gospel. The Bible says that if you believe and you exercise faith in Jesus, you trust in Jesus, you turn from your sins, and you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, then today, right here, right now, you can be saved. So if you want to do that, I want to lead you in a prayer. And you just pray this prayer. And you pray it to God. Say, Dear Lord, I come to you today and I admit I have sinned, but I turn from my sins and I trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward. In Jesus' name.